And we thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ came. He ascended on high. He's at the right hand of the Father, and that he's coming back. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. You guys can have a seat. Still need you to be rowdy. Can we be rowdy? The first service, they wear masks. We're trying to protect people, but it's messing me up. Because I don't know, like I say things and people just look like they're mad. But all I can see is their eyes. So anyway, uh, a couple things I want to let you know about before I get going. First of all, if you've never been to Ordinary Faith before, if you would text the word welcome to that phone number, 307-224-4404, so we could have your, your information and we can sell that. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what we do at all. Just so we can include you in our email list, we send out a monthly newsletter and different things. So if you are not in the loop, that is a quick way to get in the loop at Ordinary Faith. Um, so there's that. Second thing. So we are taking donations to build a church in Pakistan. We are trying to raise $6,000, and right now we have $2,150 as of last Sunday. That's pretty good, right? Pretty good. So we need a little, we're trying to reach $6,000, so uh, if you could just put, you know, you can write a check. What do we need? $4,000, whatever that check is, three, whatever it is. Uh, I can't do math. I'm a preacher, not a math, not an accountant. I can't even balance my own checkbook. So anyway... And I said, balance a checkbook, and everybody under 30 is like, what's a checkbook? Anyway, <clears throat> so um, anyway, you could get an envelope off the giving box back there, write missions on it. You could text an amount, uh, $6,000, 84321's the number, 84321, and uh, you could text to that and put missions in there, and it would go through. That being said, one more thing I need to let you know about is the Peak family. They couldn't be here today. They had planned to be here for this service, and we were going to bring them up and embarrass them. Uh, maybe that's why they couldn't make it. I don't know. I'll have to rethink that. Jason and Brandy Peak have served on our leadership team, and uh, they are moving to Arkansas. Uh, the economic situation affected his job, and so his new job's in Arkansas, so we're losing him. So I just wanted to let you know and just be in prayer for them, okay? So we're going to jump right in. We're in our series called Shift, and we are talking about today moving from the concept of earner, where we're trying to earn everything from God, to an heir where we receive things from God. And today we're talking about Jesus Christ, specifically about his return, and how that that's not something we earn, but that's something that we receive, and what we should do in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, verses, and we're going to start about verse 6. The verses will be on the screen for you in just a second, but let me set it up. So in Acts chapter 1, we're walking into this scene with Jesus and the apostles. They have served these disciple apostle guys. Those words are be interchangeable today. So when I say one, I mean the other and vice versa, right? They've been walking with Jesus for three and a half years. They, had, they were there. Many of them were there when Jesus was baptized. They saw the Spirit descend on him like a dove. They were there when he came out of the desert in power after the 40-day fast. They were there when he turned the water into wine. When he raised people from the dead, healed leprosy, they saw his ministry. Not only did they see it, they participated in it. God used them. They were able to heal people, cast out demons, all kinds of crazy things. So for three and a half walk along Jesus' side, then he's killed. Bang. He gets convicted of a crime, a crime of blasphemy. He's nailed to a cross. The blasphemy of actually claiming to be God, by the way. He gets convicted of that, nailed to the cross, and he's killed. Three days later, he raises from the dead, and they're part of that too. So for 40 days, they've been hanging out with the guy who died and lived again. 
In Acts chapter 1, we're the last day, the last answer that Jesus has, and we're going to look at the disciples and what they ask him. Now, before I get into that, I want to remind you, these are ordinary dudes. Nothing fancy about these guys. Just as normal as you or I. They weren't highly educated. They didn't have a lot of wealth. They were fishermen, uh, <clears throat> politically involved, tax collectors. They were not generally loved. They were just ordinary guys. And so I want to show you what they asked Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. Excuse me, I'm going to cough every so often. I've been working on my house. I promise you it's allergies and dust, not the Rona, all right? <coughs> Excuse me. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him. I want you to see that line. They kept asking him. So this is a repeat question. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Pause. Let's hit the brakes. They're trapped in their theology here. They have this idea. Theology is just a word we use to say how people think about God. They're trapped in this idea that God's going to do things the way they expect. Okay? They have an end-time view of things that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to do everything in one visit, straighten out the world, fix everything. The problem is, their view of the prophets and how they read the Old Testament didn't take everything into account. They didn't understand that in the prophets' readings, often they would share what God was going to do, and there might be time gaps in between. So they thought something was going to happen. Lord, the time has come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom. Here's Jesus' answer. He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. This isn't really part of the message, but let me just stomp on this just for a second, all right? They're, they're looking at Jesus going, okay, Jesus, you've done all this cool stuff. You came to earth, saved us from our sins, rose from the dead. That's really cool. What's next? What are you going to do now? What's God going to do now? And Jesus' answer to that is, God's business is God's business. Let God be God. I have something for you. Okay? You with me there? Okay, let's jump to the next verse. Sorry about the sniffling. Can't be helped right now. But... Here's Jesus' answer. But you will receive power. Not you will earn power. Not you will deserve power. Not you will strengthen yourself into power. You will receive power. When, say power. power. I just want to make sure we were all in the same room. That's all. Okay. You will receive power at, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, through Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. That'd be cool, all right? Just getting sucked off the stage there. And they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him, rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. All right, so, again, sorry about the sniffling. I can't help it. Let me do it one time. Ah, I feel better. All right. <clears throat> Might as well draw attention to it, right? <laughs> I can't. It's going to be annoying on the tape. I'll hear it later. I'm going, man, someone needs to shut that guy up. But anyway. 
So the disciples come at Jesus Christ. They're ordinary guys. They're processing the last three and a half years of their lives, guys. The miracles, the, the people being raised from the dead, the cured, the lame people walking, the leprosy healed, the resurrection of Jesus himself from the dead. They're processing all of this out of their ordinary thinking, okay? Just out of their, their, their own, they don't have the Holy Spirit to interpret this for them just yet. They've got to receive something to get there. And so th- this is where they're coming from. They're thinking about all of this stuff, and they're, they're looking at all that God has done, and now they're asking themselves, what now is God going to do? And I, that really resonates with me, because I think that's what Christians are asking all over the world now. We're waiting for God to do something. It's like there's a, a, a held breath all throughout Christendom of Christians going, what next? Maybe that's a, a bit of fear, and maybe it's a bit of faith, but we're waiting on something to happen. And I, what I want to do today is I want to remind you of this. One, Jesus is coming back. I'm sorry. Sally and Leonard heard me. <clears throat> Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. You're like, I don't know if I believe that. That's actually a core of every Christian faith, okay? Jesus is coming back, all right? Core doctrine. He's going to return. Jesus Christ coming back. And so we as Christians are sitting around going, okay, any day now, <laughs> right? Anytime we've wrecked it, you come fix it. <laughs> Sorry. But Jesus' answer to what God's going to do now was not, guys, he's going to be back on Thursday. His answer was, but you. His answer was, but you. He turned around the question because they asked the wrong question. They asked the question, what God's going to do? And what they should have been asking was, what are we supposed to do? That's the question for today. If Jesus Christ is really coming back, what should you be doing? Okay, because guys, God has done enough. God, I would say he woke up one morning, but there wasn't a morning yet to wake up in. And he said, I'm going to create the world. There was a count. There's like a conference between Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they decided to create. And they created time. And they created the universe. They created the sun, the moon, the stars, the planet you live on. And now some of you are sitting there going, well, I'm not sure if I believe God created all this stuff. By faith, we know that God created is what the writer in Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11. That is also another core of our faith. So God created. He created time. He put Adam and Eve. And he created Adam and Eve together as the image of God. And he put them in the Garden of Eden. They messed up. They sinned. They fell for temptation. When they fell, God came again, provided for them. In providing for them, later came along, he, he, the world got even more messed up, and God showed up for a guy named Noah. And God, God initiated this conversation with Noah. The conclusion of that conversation was, I want you to build a boat out of gopher wood. And he had to get on Google and go, what the heck is gopher wood? He didn't know. <sighs> And then God went and found this guy, this Middle Eastern dude in the middle of a desert called Abram. And he says, I want you to leave your land and your country and everything you know. And I'm going to make a nation out of you. And that's how Israel was founded. 
And then God found this guy named Moses who was out raising sheep. And God said, Moses, I want you to go and deliver my people from slavery. Then God raised up a shepherd boy and, and established David as king and established this mighty nation on the, the efforts of King David and his king Solomon. My point is this. Hasn't God done enough? I mean, seriously, as far as I know, in all of eternity, God has taken one day off. The seventh day. Jesus said, my father's working and I work. So when the disciples are sitting there going, oh man, Jesus Christ, you came from heaven to earth. You were the word made flesh. God come to here. You died for us. You rose for us. Now you're going to ascend on high. What are you going to do now? And Jesus flipped it on his head and said, no, what are you going to do now? Does that make sense? Jesus' last answer was to put in the, the guys, the apostles, the disciples, the, the church, to put in them the realization that there was, there was work, there was ministry, there was something for them to do. God has something for you to do. Not just preachers and missionaries and people that you consider spiritual leaders. Every believer has a mission and a job. And we have the mission and the job because Jesus is coming back. Amen? Are you with me this far? Yes. All right, good deal. That was kind of the introduction. And there you're going like, wow, that was a long introduction. Yes, all right. So when the apostles, reading off the screen, were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, when's... Uh, has the time come for you to free Israel, restore our kingdom? The Father, Jesus replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and those times, and they are not for you, okay? Uh, I wanted to read that because I got ahead of my notes, and so now I've read that part to remind you, okay? Now, verse 8. But you will receive power. Say power. power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Say witnesses. Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, 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 I just made that town up. Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What does Jesus want you to do? What does Jesus want the, what did he want the apostles to do? First, he wanted them to receive. To receive power. To receive power. That's awesome, right? The idea that God has power for you. We sang the song. There is power, power, wonder-working power. Now, I grew up in Tennessee. Where I come from, we call it pyre. There is pyre, pyre. <laughs> My dad was a song leader, and what he would do for fun on Sundays was try and get us to add more powers in there. So we'd try and get eight in. Pyre, 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 pyre. What? Never mind. Never mind. Just, I'm having more fun than you. It's okay. I'm just back to a memory. Back to memory. Jesus wants you to receive power. For what? To make more money? So your marriage will be okay? So your kids will act right? So you'll live, what's that? You can have your best life now? I'm not making fun of anybody except for the guy who wrote that book. I'm making fun of him. But other than that, no, I'm just kidding. Is that what the power's for, though? Not, not trying to throw you off or offend you, but is that what the power's for? But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit's come up on you. What if I told you you needed power? 
Where have I told you you didn't need to be smarter? You didn't need more money. You didn't need more friends. You didn't need more fame. What if I told you that what you needed actually was power? Greek word, dunamis. It's the root word from which we get our word dynamite. Explosive power. What if I told you you needed power? What if Christians woke up every day and realized, you know what I need today? I don't need a to-do list. I don't need to make my boss happy. I don't, need, I don't need to do anything until I get to God's throne and get some power. If we lived our life in power, if we lived our life receiving power. By the way, you can't earn this power. You can't work yourself into this power. You can't pray your way into this power. Fast your way into this power. I'm not saying those aren't good habits. Those aren't good things to do. But you can't earn this. You can only receive this. And I contend, and I'm going to right now, that if, if we as believers, rather than get about and starting our days and our weeks and our ministries and our works and our businesses with all the strength that we have and all the plans that we can muster and all the energy that we can expend, if we would stop doing that until we got to a place where we received God's power. Do you think it would be easier to parent your children if you had God's power to do it? Would it be easier to work that job for that boss that you may not like, and I hope he's not sitting next to you, would it be easier to do that if you had the power of God? What about your relationships? Would it be easier to live in relationship with people if you had the power of God? What did Jesus say to the disciples? Wait here until you receive. What if that was your morning devotion, quiet time? Father... I'm here to receive power. I need explosive power to do today. That would change your life. Jesus said, but you will receive power. Why? Why do you need power? So that you can make money? So that your marriage goes better? So the kids listen to you? Why do you need power? Well, the answer's in the text. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be, exist as, my witnesses. Say witnesses. I know it's a lot of S's, but you did well. Way to go. This is what power is for. Power isn't for your bank account. It's not even for your family. I'm not saying God won't bless those things. I'm not saying God won't show up and fix any problems that you might have. He very well may. But that's not the purpose of the power. The purpose of the power is to be a witness. What does that mean, Michael? So glad you asked. I actually had it in my notes that you would. Let's say I went down into Cub and Go this morning and I, I got a breakfast sandwich. But let's say I decided to rob the store. I'd probably get a roll of quarters or something, you know. <laughs> which are worth a lot nowadays. You can't get change anymore, right? So go to the Rob store. And what if Pastor Steve's in there getting gas and he sees me, he's a witness of me robbing the store. They're going to subpoena him to come to my trial. And he's going to be a witness of what I have done. He is a witness because he has seen me do something. And in seeing me do something, he is now able to testify to my actions. Does that make sense? 
Jesus said, I'm, I'm, I want you to receive from heaven, from the Holy Spirit, power, because I want you to be my witnesses. I want you to see something so you will say something. I want you to see something so you will say something. What does this have to do with you today? The average Christian today does not believe they have seen anything. Peter and John and Acts. Some chapter in there. Read it till you find it. They preach that Jesus is the answer. They preach that you must repent and be baptized in the name of the condemned criminal that you murdered several days ago in order to be saved. They preach that message. The same Sanhedrin, Jewish court, so to speak, that condemned Jesus to die arrested Peter and John. Peter and John were just fishermen. They were ordinary guys. No real education to speak of. They stand before the Sanhedrin, and before the very council that crucified Jesus, they testify of Jesus. The council says, that's it. You can't preach anymore. You cannot preach anymore in Jesus' name. They said, you cannot proclaim the good news of Jesus anymore. You can't tell anyone that Jesus is the answer. You can't give the world hope. What are you thinking? And the answer that Peter and John spout right back at the council, at this courtroom, is they go, hey, we cannot help but speak the things that we have seen and heard. You see, they had received power, and now they were made witnesses to what they'd seen and heard. Read the, God, read the book, the epistle, 1 John, and you will see in chapter 1, John goes into this, this eloquent, beautiful chapter of how that they had seen something in Jesus Christ. It's, it's an eyewitness account of, of Jesus in, in a way. And then the same in Peter's books. They're deeply founded in something that they had seen and heard. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. That's why you can't live without the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit connects you with Father and gives you an experience and a connection with Him so that you have something you have seen and you have heard. Something you can testify to. That's what the power is for. The power is that you and I be witnesses of Jesus Christ. The answer. You with me so far? It's like, I don't know, I don't trust you. It's okay. After this, he was taken up into a cloud. While they were watching, they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into the heaven, you can just kind of see that, can't you? Everybody's looking up, where'd he go? The two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way you've seen him go. God became flesh, John 1.14, dwelt among us, was filled with grace and truth, lived in power, displayed power, was crucified, rose from the dead, ascended on high. When he ascended, he took up his current employment, the job he's in right now. I'm like, what's Jesus' job? Glad you asked. He's at the right hand of the Father, Colossians chapter 3. At the right hand of the Father, according to Hebrews 7, he is praying for us without nonstop. He is praying for you, intercessing continually. We also learn that he's our advocate. That means that if the enemy brings any charges against us in the courts of heaven, that he is there as our defense attorney. That's his job right now, 
Right now he's at the Father, the Father, the Son, the Spirit are guiding the affairs of the world from mission control through people, through the Holy Spirit working on earth and individuals. But while there, he's also praying for you to the Father. And he's, he's interceding for you. And his heart is connected with you individually. You personally. Son, the Son of God praying for you. And when the enemy brings charges, he's there to stand up and slap the devil down with some God-centered truth. Okay? That's his, that's his vocation right now. But that's not his permanent vocation. There's another thing coming. The angel said he's coming back just like he left jesus is coming back why is he coming back well i mean didn't he do enough why is he coming back i'll tell you why he's coming back because he's getting married so you didn't tell us that michael i know it was a surprise it was like a hallmark movie you're welcome <laughs> hey man if the template works use it you know <sighs> Jesus is getting married. He's coming back for the bride of Christ. The bride is beautiful. She is holy. She is pure. She is victorious. She's like this warrior bride. Like, don't just imagine a wedding dress bride with a veil. Imagine maybe a bride in a white dress with a shield and a sword because she bad to the bone, all right? That's the bride he's coming back for. And that's, that's every believer, man. You see, believers are in the bride of Christ. There aren't like separate groups of believers. There aren't like these believers are in the bride of Christ, but these are just like normal believers over here. There are no normal believers. You're all weird. Okay? No normal believers. You're all in the bride of Christ. And she overcomes through the blood of the Lamb. There's power in the blood. And the word of her testimony. She stands up through persecution and suffering. By the way, November we're doing a series called Not Scared, where we deal with what's going on in the world and how we can live in faith in regard to that rather than fear. But that's just a plug for November. Back to Jesus coming back for his bride. He's coming back to get this beautiful girl he died for. And he's also coming back to rule and reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus Christ isn't coming back to make the whole world America. If I offended you right there, your heart's in the wrong place, man. He's not coming back to set up a democracy, a republic. He didn't come back to set up socialism or communism. I mean, everybody thinks Jesus is whatever party they are anyway, okay? <laughs> Jesus is his own party. He's a party of king of kings, lord of lords. He's the one, all right? When he comes back, he, he, he's not even going to need a cabinet. He's not even going to need people. He's coming back to rule and reign. He and every knee will bow, every time will confess Jesus Christ. Is, that's why he's coming back, to pick up his wife and rule the world in grace and truth, in justice. And he's going to make everything right. Jesus is coming back. That was his last answer. So what are you going to do? Jesus Christ is coming back. The whole world is actually accountable to him. What are we supposed to do? Sit back and live our best life now until he comes back? Have you ever thought about the way you think? Weird, huh? We never really think about the way we think. But have you ever considered, if, you, if all of your prayers were answered today, all your dreams came true today, 
Would anybody who is not you benefit from all your answered prayers and all your dreams? If God's dreams came true for you, if God's will came into reality in your life, would more people benefit from your answered prayers? It's a good thought, right? We're here on this earth because Jesus said, receive power, be my witnesses. And we're here to be a witness of something. Things that we've seen and heard, our connection with Jesus, our connection with the Father. We're here to tell people the story of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're here to tell what we have seen and heard. We're here to be not just impacted by that message, but rather consumed by it. The Bible says in Hebrews 10 that our God is a consuming fire. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit is. John said of Jesus, he will baptize you not in water, but in fire. He will baptize you in God, was what John the Baptist was teaching. And so this is the gospel. The gospel is this fiery, consuming thing. It's a consuming thing. And one of the saddest realities in our life is that we are consumed by so many other things. And so what if we, as children of God, took Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 to heart, and we said, all right, I need power. And I need power not for me. I need power to be a witness. I need power to let the world know that there's a solution. There's a solution. What do you mean, Michael? I think one of the greatest challenges that people face in life is that they are consumed by guilt and shame. I think it is connected to what happened in the Garden of Eden. Uh, it's connected to, to Adam's choice to surrender to temptation. And so I, I talk to people all the time. In fact, I, you know what? I don't even have to talk about people. I can just talk about me. And the reality that my prayer life is so much of guilt and shame. Like God. Like my first prayer of the day, I was trained as a, as a young man to start out your day confessing your sins. So that's how I've always started. Lately, I'm learning I need to stop, I mean, that there's always opportunity to confess sins when it's there, but it's better to praise God for the answer to those sins. So our, our, our life is less guilt and shame and more praise and worship. There's an answer for guilt and shame. Do you understand that? I realize you did stuff that you wish you hadn't done. I realize your story's got some crap in it. I get it. And Jesus died for all of that. Jesus Christ rose from the dead for that. You understand? There's an answer. And the answer is a guy named Jesus Christ. There's hope. There's a solution. And people don't know. Listen, I get it that there are people out there who, who would like to not have an accountability to God or, or whatever. I, I get that there's a that people might find out that Jesus died for them and not care. That is what it is. But let me tell you this, there are people out there who do not know. When I was a young man, you know, yesterday, I don't know how old I was, I was running a restaurant in Missouri. And God got a hold of me there. And I remember I was talking to a guy about Jesus Christ. I was trying to share faith with him. 
in the kitchen. We were cooking burgers. And I said, well, man, you know John 3.16. You know John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I said, man, you know John 3.16. That was the core of my witnessing strategy at that time. This was back in 1993. That was a day or two ago. And that young man, he was maybe 18, looked at me and he said, I never heard that verse in my life. Folks, I was living in the buckle of the Bible belt. And almost 30 years ago, here's a young man who'd never heard that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And that if anyone believed in him, they would not perish but have everlasting life. He did not know. Do you believe that every person on the planet should at least have the chance to tell Jesus no? Do you believe that every person on the planet should at least get a chance to say no? I do. And I have no control of the planet, but I have some impact on the town in which I live. And so I think, it's, I think it should be a, our mission that everybody know. That everyone be a witness. That there is a solution for the guilt and shame. That there's a solution for the dread of accountability. Where am I at on time? Oh, I got all day. The dread of accountability, what am I talking about? You see, the Bible, the Bible teaches us that there's this core dread in humanity that we all know that we're accountable to someone. We all know we got to answer to somebody. Uh, Hebrews 9, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. That, that's, that's why you want to be an atheist, because you don't want to be, you don't want to be accountable to anybody. You want to be your own God. It's way more comfortable to not believe in a God than it is to know that one day you have to answer to him. The problem is you can't lie to the truth that's implanted within you. The Bible teaches us that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. The preacher said that in Ecclesiastes. You know there's an accountability coming. And, and it fills your heart with dread. Well, here's the thing, guys. There's an answer. And it's Jesus Christ. And he died to take that punishment, to take that wrath so that you're, that accountability moment, when you're there and God's like, whoa, man, it looks like you really messed up. You were born. <sighs> and Jesus steps up at that moment and says, no, this, this one's with me. This one's behind my blood, behind my righteousness. There's an answer. There's an answer for your junk, and there's an answer for your dread. There is hope. And there is a way to an abundant and a difference-making life. Jesus is the answer. And that who's, is who's coming back. That's who's coming back. <clears throat> and in the meantime, we have a job. I don't know what your job is in the world. Um, one of the things, I'm kind of, I've been a... They've changed it. it. When I was started ministry, they called us bivocational. And I, I, well, I learned what that means is two jobs. But now they call it co-vocational because things got really expensive and now it takes three, four jobs. <laughs> I've been in ministry like 25 years. Planted, this is the second church we've been a, a privileged to plant. And in that time, I've, I've worked jobs, I've had businesses, I've had side hustles, whatever they're called now. All I know is I worked a lot. Let me tell you why I think that's a gift 
for me. A lot of guys didn't have to do it, but that's what God called me to. But for me, it taught me that your, your job is how you finance your job. Does that make sense? The job of a Christian is to make disciples who make disciples. The job is to give people access to Jesus. The job is to be a witness. Now, if you're sitting there going, well, that's not really my job, then I redirect you back to Matthew 28, where Jesus said, go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey. I send you back to the great, the great commandment, love one another. And so I just want to remind you, we have a job. Give the world access to Jesus. That's what we're doing in Pakistan. That's what this church thing's about. The Pakistan's in the 1040 window. It's, it's, a, it's a place that's unreached by the gospel. The average person there is never going to get to even hear that Jesus died for their sins and that they will submit, surrender their life to Christ. They can have eternal life. They're never going to get to hear that. Many of them will live and die and never get the light of Jesus shined upon them. Pastor Asif is the pastor we work with in Pakistan. He runs a ministry called Bibles for Pakistan. And what they do is they go out into the rural areas of that country and they hand out Bibles and people get saved. Scores of people come to faith. They don't baptize 10 on a a baptism. They baptize hundreds. Because when people hear and they get a chance to say yes or no, a lot of them say yes. That's how this works. That's our job. That's our job, to go out and and take Jesus to people. And one day, Jesus will come back. And when Jesus comes back, he will share his glory with us. And then there are those that will have to surrender to his lordship, whether they want to or not. Let me finish that with Peter, and then I'll be done. Peter says this. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead. Pause. Pretty exciting verse right there, right? Wonderful joy. If we stop the verse right there, man, we just go home and go, yes, it's it's fun. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. This is, never mind. You love him even though you have never seen him. Can you imagine being Peter writing this? I'm sorry, I just have to draw attention to this. Peter who had seen Jesus. He had seen the transfiguration, the glory. He had seen the miracles. He'd seen Jesus after the resurrection. resurrection. He'd seen all of that, and he's thinking about these people, and he's he's impressed by what the Holy Spirit's done. The Holy Spirit took their witness, and, and thousands were saved and believed in Jesus Christ. And here's Peter, just like in awe, going, you love him, and like you never even saw him, man. I think he's awesome, but I saw him. But you haven't even met him. Not face to face. And you love him. (laughs) 
And though you do not see him now, you trust him. And, listen to this, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. (laughs) This is what Jesus died for, by the way. That life of a joyous, inexpressible joy. Because you have seen and heard something. Because you have connected with Jesus by receiving his Holy Spirit. You see? It's a powerful thing. When you read that and you think about how the average Christian walks through their life today with their face all dragging the ground and all sad, and they're posting on Facebook, things are bad, they're bad, they're going to get worse, oh my God, help us. And here's Peter saying, you, you never even saw him and you love him. You rejoice with inexpressible joy and you trust him. I got news for you, by the way. The people he's writing to in 1 Peter had it way worse than any of us have ever had it. They had lost possessions, had their homes repoed. Some of them had even died. Of course, they weren't reading the letter. And they rejoiced with inexpressible joy because they had Jesus, because someone witnessed of Jesus And they trusted Jesus, and the reward for trusting Jesus will be the salvation of your souls. You can't earn this. Thank God. I don't want anything I can earn. But you can receive it. I don't know where your faith is this morning. I don't know if you're like still kicking the tires. I like that expression Steve uses on what faith is. But I want you to know that there is a way to be ready for Christ's return. The Bible calls it repentance and faith. And I'm warning you, it's, it, that repentance and faith thing, it's not just a, a, like a mental acceptance. Oh yeah, Jesus lived, he died. No, it, it's a realization that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he is the best King of kings and Lord of lords to have. And so you can be ready for Christ's return. And Christian... You can witness and prepare people for Christ's return. That's our job. It's our joy to give people a chance to even say no. Even if someone says no, they at least had the chance, right? And if, if you're sitting there like, like I am in my heart going, I want everyone I know to get a chance. I want everyone I know to have access to Jesus. That's what he left us to do. What's God going to do? I'm not sure. I've read the book. I know in the last chapter he wins. That's about all I know for sure. I know Jesus is coming back. Times, dates, don't know, don't care. The most important date of my life was when I was six years old and in a junior church program I met Jesus. And that was the beginning of my life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for this awesome gospel.